got any Black Friday shoppers in here? <laughs> My wife's the only one that raised her hand. I didn't write the skit, I promise. <laughs> I think if we're being honest, as we come into this season, there's so many opportunities for there to be distractions like that, um, where, where we, for the sake of something else, whether it be buying an item, um, you know, doing something we think is you know, the right thing for a while, we're buying our wife a gift, you know, we end up not living at peace with the people that are right in front of us. Um, I want to show you, we actually, does anybody have a true life t-shirt or sweatshirt? Do you? We're, we're going to run another order on a shirt that, that's a little bit more appropriate for this season. <laughs> and so for those of you that do resonate with the, the skit, <laughs> We already got somebody offering to buy it. And for those of you don't, that don't know, that is a quote by Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation. Uh, I hate the public. The public is stupid. Some of, us, some of us are wired. We like to be around people. Some people, that's just not your natural bend. And so you, you do have a harder time relating to people and living at peace with others. Uh, if you had your preference, you would kind of you know, stay in, do your own thing, have an island to yourself, and, and you feel like you would, you would, um, you know, you and God would just be fine together as long as he didn't put anybody else in your life to, uh, to mess it up. So, we are in a series right now, and this is the final sermon of this series, and it's called Stress Less. We're still hating the public. Pull up the sermon, the sermon title, or not the sermon title, but this, there we go. So we've got kind of a dichotomy of traffic that looks like Morristown around lunch hour. Uh, and, then, and then the, the nice, serene, uh, calm waves and water. That's the island that I was just telling you guys that, that some of you would like to own and, and never interact with people. Uh, this is the third, seri- or third sermon in the series, but before we jump into this series, and you saw based on the skit, we're going to talk about living at peace with others. Uh, but, I, but I feel like, and Jimmy and I talked about this, it, there's so much um, synchronicity in all three of these sermons, because the first one talked about living at peace with God. And so the fact that, and, and he used in, in Romans 5.1, pull up Romans 5. We're going to read that again just so we understand that. Therefore, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so being at peace with God, the only way that we can truly be at peace with God is through the sacrifice and the gift of Jesus. And so we can't experience, last week he preached on the peace of God, um, I, I watched it on Facebook Live. I think he did an amazing job. You know, I was the blizzard of 18, snowed us in. So three and a half inches, got pretty crazy. Um, but talked about the peace of God. And so you've got to first, to have a relationship with God, you've got to accept that 
you know what? I can't be at peace with God. My sin has separated me from God. I'm actually, as Scripture says, I'm at enmity with God. And so the only way I can experience the peace of God is through the gift of Jesus Christ and surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And so if I am at peace with God, we're making an assumption now, we are, we're talking to people that are at peace with God through surrendering their lives to Jesus, through giving Jesus their lives. Now you can experience, because now Jesus lives within us through the Holy Spirit, we have the peace of God. And so he preached last week on the peace of God. And, and a couple points he made was that, that peace is not the absence of problems. And that's how a lot of us would like it to be. Like if I could just rid my life of the problems... Then, then that would be synonymous with me experiencing peace. But the reality is we fall in, we look back at Genesis 3, we fall in, we're in a fallen world. The world was great, Genesis 1 through 2. Adam and, it, Adam and Eve chose to sin. And so from that point on, we're in a fallen world where, where sin exists. That's the reality. But we can counter that with the peace of God as we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so he said, pray biblically. Think carefully, live obediently. If we want to experience the peace of God, then we've got, some, we've got some responsibilities as Christians to foster that. Because it's not a matter of, do we have it? It's, is it activated? Are we allowing Jesus in us and through us to be the peace that he has put in us? So, today, we're assuming that we're at peace with God. We know that we have the opportunity to have the peace of God because God's in us when we're at peace with God. Are we walking in the peace of God? Today we're going to look at how do we live at peace with others. And I want to, I want to answer the question about you know, when we say others, who does others involve? Others, others is going to be anybody and everybody, but I think it's good in this time for us to drill down because normally when we talk about living at peace with, with others, like, you don't have to rack your brain too much. You can probably call to mind a few people on the top of your list that just seem to be a little bit more difficult to accomplish that with, okay? And so this could be our blood family. This might be people in our, our immediate family uh, that for whatever reason, it's just, it feels like a struggle every day to live at peace with them. It could, could be our spouse. It could be you know, the, the parent-child relationship. We don't have teenagers yet, but a couple people have told me that gets kind of interesting when they become teenagers. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure for us it won't because, no, just kidding. It's already, it's already there. We got a preteen. Um, in-laws, you know, some in-laws are great. Move on. <clears throat> um, your, as we come into Christmas, like, you know, holiday parties, reunions, uh, you're going to see some people that you may only see once or twice a year or maybe every couple years. And so we're doing another t-shirt. If you didn't like that sweatshirt option, we've got a t-shirt that we're going to roll out here. It says, I see crazy relatives. It must be Christmas. We, we're going to interact with some people that just make it kind of hard to live at peace with. Um, once again, not my family, but probably yours. <laughs> and then strangers. You know, this was an example. Every day we have the opportunity. God puts us in the path of strangers. People that we've never met in our life. 
but God has ordained it that we're going to stand in a, a shopping line and we've got maybe we only have one chance to impact their lives. One chance. And we're going to get mad over a baby alive. We got to figure out how do we live at peace with others. Might be coworkers. You know, we spend, we spend more time, in most cases, if you're working a full-time job, you spend more time with your coworkers than nearly anybody else in your life. And that will reveal so much about your relational uh, status with them. That will, you know, you'll get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Raise your hand if you've got, if you can just think of like, man, I've, I've got a coworker that I really have a hard time uh, relating to or, or living at peace with. Had some true life staff raise their hand. Jimmy? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, I don't think. Oh, yeah, it was Andy. <laughs> Listen, you can come to the elders. We'll, we'll, hear, we'll hear you out, okay? And then, and then another one of those others, living at peace with others, would be people who oppose us. It's real easy to live at peace with people that extend peace to you, right? It's really easy to live at peace with people that, that encourage you and say the right things to you and think that everything you do is great. But what about when we just disagree with people? What about if people wrong us? What about if people just, for whatever reason, from the time they laid eyes on us, decided, you know what, I don't like that guy. I don't like that girl. We just don't, you know, we don't mesh. Matthew 5, 43 through 47, Jesus speaks to this. This is, this is part of his Sermon on the Mount. This is some of the, the, the purest teaching of, of, of Jesus and, and Christian ethics and how do, you, how do you live a life that's surrendered to Christ. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And in that time, the tax collectors were... The scum of the scum. So he's saying, listen, the worst person in the world can still love and, and respond well to somebody that is reciprocating it. How does it work when somebody isn't and when they're hating you and treating you badly? And if you, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. You have heard that it was said, you're looping. Okay, great. Man, I was on a roll I was, I, was, I was going to read it twice for you. All right, so we see that Jesus sets the stage, and we're not going to look in Matthew. We're actually going to be in Romans 12. If you want to turn to Romans 12, um, this is a little bit different type. We'll be in Romans 12, but I'm going to bounce around a little bit um, on into the sermon uh, when we talk about how we pursue peace. But Romans 12, 14 through 21 is where we're going to start but Jesus sets the stage to his disciples when he's walking the earth before he, before he dies and, and resurrects and ascends to heaven. And he's telling them, listen, you got to figure out how to relate to people. So as we're thinking about this, think about who do I need to apply this to in my life? Right? Because 
I'm probably not going to tell you guys a whole lot today that you would say, oh man, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that was in there. <laughs> you know, all this time I've been just blatantly or, or unknowingly disobeying uh, scripture. I didn't even realize that I was supposed to treat people kindly and, you know, act in humility. It's news to me. More than likely, you know what we need to do, how to live at peace with others. James 1.22 says that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? So that's the challenge today. Where, what context does this meet you today? Who are you struggling to relate to? Who are you struggling to live at peace with? And how are we going to be doers of the word and not hearers only? Let's read, and I'm going to read it through in a succession, Romans 12, 14 through 21. And so I preached a couple months ago, I preached actually on the, the first part of Romans 12, and just to kind of remind you guys, Paul, this is a, a book written, a letter written to the church at Rome by the Apostle Paul, and he's laying out for the first several chapters, about the first 11 chapters, like, hey, this, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. You were separated from God. You are unrighteous, but because of Jesus, you have the opportunity to assume his righteousness when you give your life to him. And so now, these last several chapters, he's telling us, how do we do that? How do we flesh that out? And the first part talks about how we relate to each other. First part of chapter 12 talks about how do we use our spiritual gifts? How do we love each other well? How do we treat each other in the body of Christ? And he uses that metaphor, and that's, that's what we talked about a couple months ago, is, is that we're a body, we're all connected. How do we relate to each other as a body of Christ? And so we're going to pick up on verse 14, and it says, Bless those who persecute you. So now we're changing gears a little bit, and we're not just talking about the body of Christ. We're not just talking about our inner circle. Remember, we talked about who does this, this relates to everybody, but, but if we wanted to put it into two categories, we've got to be able to relate well and live at peace with the body of Christ, which if we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus, that's anybody who identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus who belongs to the big church, not just the local true life church, anybody that professes Jesus is the body of Christ. So that's our, that's our faith family, our body of Christ. And then everybody else falls into the outside of the church. But that may, you may have people, you may have some, some of your own children that are in the body of Christ, some of your children that aren't. Uh, you may have family that are in the body of Christ and some that aren't. But a lot of these truths, a lot of these principles are universal, whether you're relating to the body of Christ or to those that are not in the body. In this case, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So now we're changing gears. We're going back to the body of Christ. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. One another means the body. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all man. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's going to be our key verse. We'll come back to that. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the key verse that we're going to kind of springboard from today is verse 18. If it is possible, and we'll talk about that. Let's table that first part for right now. If it is possible does mean that, well, maybe it's not possible. Maybe there's some Maybe there's some relationships that just aren't going to work. But if it is possible, as much as depends on you and me, live peaceably with all men. The main idea today, if you didn't walk out here with anything else, the main idea, the big point today is that living at peace with others is not a promise, but is a pursuit. It's not a promise, but it is a pursuit. So if that's the case, if we're pursuing how do we live at peace with others? Then what do we need to do? How do we accomplish that? We're going to focus on three areas today. We're going to focus on pursuing peace. We're going to focus on running from revenge. So get a, get a picture in your head. If we're pursuing peace, and we'll talk about this in a second, we're going toward peace. We're going to have the opportunity. People are going to wrong us inevitably. They're going to wrong us in life. They're going to treat us badly. We're going to have the opportunity at that point in our lives to seek revenge or run from revenge. And so we're pursuing peace. We're running from revenge. And then we're going to rest in the rest. So that doesn't make sense. It's a homonym. I had to Google that because there's too many homo. Homophones, homonym. But that's a homonym. The same word, different meanings. We're going to rest. We're going to take, we're going to take solace in the fact that the rest is up to God. So that's what we're going to look at. But to start, pursue peace. Pursue peace. Psalm 34, 13 and 14. Don't turn to it because all of you are, are good students. You're probably already camped out in Romans 12. But Psalm 34 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Okay, so we got a command that we're going to pursue and seek peace. The definition of seek or pursue would be to search out, to strive after, or to chase. Right? So that doesn't sound very passive. That means we've got a role to play, and we're going to run after it. We're going to strive after it. We're going to pursue it. We're going to chase it. And I think we encounter this in a couple different ways. We encounter this both proactively, right? We don't have to have drama in our lives to be pursuing peace. Most of us, many of us, probably wait until something comes, at, comes up, and so it, it does become a little bit more reactionary, but, but we can be proactive in pursuing peace. Mandy would love if I, every day, got up with the heart's intention to pursue her and to pursue peace with her, right? Your wives, your spouse, if you're married, they'd love that. But there are going to be times that we have to deal with something that's just dropped in our lap. That we just have to react to the situation and choose to pursue peace. So we're either going to be proactive or reactive with this. So in what ways do we pursue peace? Like how do we do it? And this could be... Listen, there could be a list 
of ways that we can look at Scripture. And so I've, I've pulled a few out, and that's where we're going to jump around a little bit uh, in, in just a minute. But I've pulled a few out that we can hang on to, and I, I would say are universally true that these things have to happen if we're going to experience peace with other people in our lives. The first is to bless others. We got to be a blessing to people. And once again, may I remind you, I'm talking to people that have already said, I'm at peace with God. I understand I got the peace of God. And so how do I live at peace with others? And I want to differentiate that point because this isn't some self-help. This isn't some moralistic teaching that says, you know, hey, if you, if you do these steps, then you can be at peace with others. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're not at peace with God, then you're going you're gonna to find it nearly impossible to have a peaceful relationship with others. Because you were designed to be in relationship with God. You were designed to be at, experience the peace of God. And so if you're trying to skip, uh, for all intents and purposes, if you're trying to skip to step three to live at peace with others, and you haven't dealt with the fact that God just wants a relationship with you, he wants to start with the fact that, that you need to be at peace with him, and then he wants you to experience his peace inside. Because, listen, if you don't have the peace of God, you don't have any peace to give anybody else. Right? Does that make sense? So I just want to differentiate that. But So I'm talking to the people that say, yes, I am a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I, I want to get this thing right. I want to live at peace with God. I want to have the peace of God. And now I want to live at, at peace with others. So we want to bless others. Romans 12, 14 and 15 again says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so the best way to, to, to kind of summarize that is to give you what it doesn't look like, right? I'll give you an example of my life. This isn't what this verse means. Mandy and I, when we were teenagers, and many of you know us, but some of you don't, we were teenagers. We met when we were teenagers at Myrtle Beach. Sweetest story ever. You'll probably see it on Hallmark one day. But we met. We were teenagers. We kept in touch. Um, and, and then eventually, you know, we, we, she's from Michigan. I'm from Tennessee. We did the long distance thing, 600 miles apart. Um, we, you know, I went up there, finished up school, chased after the love of my life, won her, convinced her that cold weather is awful, brought her back to Tennessee. But before any of that, while we were still kind of getting to know each other, we met. I was 15. She was 14. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Anybody been to Myrtle Beach? Ocean Lakes Campground. Are you familiar with that? That's where we go now. Prior to that, we went to one right beside of it called Lakewood Campground. That's where her parents have gone there for, or had gone there for decades. That's where we met. I was the guy in the red hat at the pool. We locked eyes. Love at first sight. Yes, it can happen. Um, <laughs> Left that beach trip saying, you know what? I'm going to marry that girl. And she did this. She said the same thing to her family. So we convinced our families like, hey, let's, we planned vacations at the same time. So we could come back to Lakewood in the summer, see each other. And that was kind of one of our only chances throughout the year to see each other. That was still in the days of AOL Instant Messenger. Y'all remember that? Um, that's, how we, that's how we communicated. And calling cards. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know, man. Calling cards. Um, but part of what I loved about being there, aside from loving her and, and really enjoying time together, 
is they were they would run it was a christian based campground but they would run these they were really i think they were more evangelistic outreaches but they would run these tournaments every week every week they'd have a volleyball tournament they'd have a 3 on 3 basketball tournament you know they'd have like horseshoe tournaments and the but the the couple that we always played were the volleyball and the 3 on 3 basketball tournament so we're in this basketball tournament her brother is is good at basketball and so it was Mandy myself and her brother, and, and I mean, it was pretty, like, it was pretty intense. It's I, probably not as intense as I imagine it to be, but in my world, at 16 years old, it was kind of like do or die. So you'd have all these teams. I mean, it'd be an all-day thing, double elimination. Um, there were three half courts side by side, so you'd be running three games at a time, and they got the big bracket, and it was cool. They had music blaring, and then they would stop it at some point, during that time and, and present the gospel. Um, so we're in this tournament and we traditionally did pretty well because mainly because of my height. I just dominated people. Um, and her brother is my height too. So, so if we weren't hitting shots, it wouldn't go well. But um, we're in this tournament. We're chugging along. We'd won the first couple games. We get down. I think, I think it was like the semifinals. And we match up with this team that's three sisters. And, and they, I mean, they were, and this, they were good. I mean, they were good, but they were short. Um, and they were, you know, African-American girls that, I mean, they could play. Well, I felt like we had a good chance. And we did have a good chance. And we're up several, I don't remember, but I think you played like seven or 11 by ones. We're up. And then somehow, this is a three-on-three basketball tournament, somehow the dad decides he wants to sub in. The dad is a distant cousin of Wilt Chamberlain. So, I mean, seriously, I'm 5'9", I'm her brother's 5'9", Mandy's 5'8", and this guy's like 6'6". Six, six. So one thing I've taught my kids in basketball is you got to make every foul count. My goal in life is to never give up an and one. And that means if somebody gets fouled and makes it. So that was my time to live out my dream to foul as hard as I could. The problem was it didn't affect him. Like this dude, I don't even think he felt me. Well, we lost. But when he came in, we already, like, we kind of pitched a fit, and we were, like, the guy that was over this, his name's Paul, and we're like, Paul, like, I didn't know you could have subs. Like, we would have gone out and recruited somebody. Like, you know, you, now, you, like, not only is he taller than us, he's better than us, but he's fresh. We've been playing for, like, five hours, you know, and, you know, he didn't, he didn't really, I think he was probably just scared of the guy. He's not going to tell him no. We lost. And I'm 16, and I don't have a great self-control at the time. And so I become very angry, and Mandy does too. And so our parents are just trying to kind of shoo us off the court, like, listen, this is, you're on vacation. This is not a big deal. Get over, you know. And as I'm leaving the court, this is a long story. I'm sorry, but it's, it does go somewhere. As I'm leaving the court, I know we're at a Christian campground. You know, I'm not going to cuss the guy out. That's not, that's not Christian-like. So, I'm walking out, and I'm just like, hey, God bless you, Paul. 
And this guy, he's shorter than me. So he's got some short man complex already. And he yells across the court, oh, hey, 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 you can't play in the volleyball tournament tomorrow. And crushed us. Well, I am in sales, so things calmed down. We got back in the volleyball tournament, and we won that sucker the next day. But the point is, that's not what this is saying. I did not take that blessing others appropriately. I meant... Stick it to you, Paul. (laughs) That's the wrong way to bless others. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. That actually means speak well of. Some some people that uh, Bible translators would say, that means pray that God would bless them. Now granted, remember, this is people that are persecuting you. Church at Rome, church in Jefferson City. These are people that are not agreeing with you. These are people that are making fun of you for your faith. These are people that, for whatever reason, have it out for you. And he says, speak well of them. Pray that God would bless them. See, most people think of two options when we think about our enemies or people that are against us um, treating us badly. First option would be revenge, and we'll get to that, right? Seek revenge. Second option would be we all grew up in the, well, no, we didn't. Many of us grew up in the South. And the saying goes, if you ain't got something nice to say, don't say anything at all. So that's kind of the rule of thumb we live by, right? Now, there is some wisdom in that at times. You know, don't just spout off. But this is actually giving us a third gospel option to bless them. What? I'll be, hey, I'll be real with you guys. That's not natural. Like if, somebody, if somebody's calling me names or if somebody's done something to hurt me or my kids, my instinct is not to say, you know what, God? I just pray that you would bless these people. I pray that they would see you know, that I'm not the problem, that they actually need you. Like that's, just, that's, not, that's not the norm. But that's what Scripture is telling us to do. And so... We see that. Think about Jesus on the cross. What did he ask? What did he pray to the Father? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, Stephen the martyr, what does Stephen pray? Don't hold this against him, God. Bless others. If we want to live at peace with others, we got to figure out how we're going to how we're going to overcome and tap into the peace of God that's in us and bless others. He talks about in verse 15, you know, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. And this is a command that that we're relating not to those that are persecuting us, but to those that are in the church, those that are of the body, that we're going to walk through good times and bad times with our body. And you say, well, how does that help us pursue peace? Some of the most monumental times in somebody's life are these life-changing events. A birth, a wedding, a funeral. And oftentimes, we don't realize how big of an impact it is to walk with somebody in that. You know, we here at True Life, we take meals to people when they've had a death in the family or when they've had a birth. 
There is a, God uses those acts of kindness and those, those opportunities for us to bless others with a great unifying effect. There's something that happens in that moment, in that, that uh, life change moment that unifies their heart to ours. And so now we're a stronger body. We're going to walk through good times and bad. I think another way we can bless others, and I, I didn't go back to see, I think this is unique to Jimmy, and, and he can deny it if not, but one of the most impactful outside of, of Scripture, one of the most impactful statements that's been said uh, in my life in the past couple years here at True Life is Jimmy several, I guess several months ago, preached a sermon about, I don't even know what it's about. I got one sentence from it. So I guess that's what was meant for me. But if you think something good, say it. Right? If you have something good that you're thinking about Nate, I have an opportunity to bless Nate. I have an opportunity to pursue peace with Nate. Maybe there's nothing between us, but I'm building it stronger. Right? And so I'm, gonna, I'm thinking something nice. I'm going to say it to him. I'm going to call something out. Hey, Nate, I just recognized that somehow you outkicked your coverage, bro, and you have married way over your head. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe that's for Molly. <laughs> if you think something good, say it. We're going to bless others. So how else do we pursue peace? We practice humility. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. Do not be wise in your own opinions. Newsflash. You're not always right. That hurts some people. You live to be right. You live to win the argument. And it kills you that you can't get the last word or you can't be right. Listen, I'm preaching to me too. I like to be right. We all like to be right. But at the end of the day, in us practicing humility, we have an opportunity to salvage the relationship with somebody, which, in my humble opinion, is way more important than winning the argument. Right? I've seen, I've seen parents, and I'll give you an example. There's a guy that sat in my office. Um, I'm an insurance agent on the side. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm an insurance agent all the time. Uh, <laughs> um, guy sat in my office a couple months ago and was telling me, and it's amazing the opportunities I get just to hear people's stories um, and, and to have an opportunity to minister to them, in which um, admittedly I need to leverage more often but this guy was sharing with me how he hasn't talked to his daughter in years because of a conversation that went bad one conversation she used to work for him she used to live here she moved to texas and so now his power play is i don't care about a a relationship with you but you're doing wrong by not letting me see my grandkids he's not got to see his grandkids right he's not pursuing peace One conversation and both of them seemingly had to be right. 
James 1, 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Therefore, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we get angry and we lash out and we have to win the argument, we are not displaying this peace within us, the peace of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is not God's righteousness on display. So, we're going to pursue peace by blessing others. We're going to practice humility. It's mind-blowing right here, guys. We're going to talk to each other. Crazy. I know. I'll give you an example. My nephew's not here. He'll be your next service. But we were talking to him a few months ago. And we are kind of giving him a hard time about this girl that he possibly likes. And he does it like, you ever wanted to be quiet? Just bring that up. <laughs> he will not talk about it. But Mandy was asking him like, so do y'all talk? He's like, what? Like, we text. And, and so they, like, they were going back and forth. And, and so Mandy was like, well, I'm really curious about this. So you guys don't, like, and he's like, what do you mean? Like, do you mean like a, a voice call? <laughs> I mean, like it was just foreign. <laughs> and it just kind of blew our minds because, once again, we don't have teenagers yet. But apparently it's not cool to talk. But listen, if that's the, if that's the approach in the church, if that's the approach in our relationships, if we're not talking to each other, guess what we're doing? We're going to talk about each other. We're going to talk. It's just a matter of are we going to talk to each other or are we going to talk about each other? Talking to each other, by default, eliminates gossip. And it's amazing how many times it diffuses misunderstandings or misconceptions. It's amazing. You ever played the game of telephone? How many times does that get messed up? That's pretty much what we're doing when we're avoiding talking to somebody in pursuing peace. We're just, we're taking a chance that we somehow know what they're thinking. And oftentimes, once again, it leads to gossip. So through the grapevine, maybe two or three people down the line, they've communicated, hey, like here's what he said, here's what he's thinking. If we go face-to-face and sit down with somebody with humility, ready to bless them, most times it will diffuse the rift that is trying to work its way in. Another thing that happens is when you talk face-to-face, it's amazing how bold people are with their thumbs, right? Right? Or with their keyboard. People, people spit off some crazy stuff on Facebook or via text. But when you're face-to-face with somebody, they're going to weigh their words a little bit more. Me too. Me too. We can't hide behind a phone or a keyboard when we're talking to each other. And so we can't talk about pursuing peace with others, living at peace with others without the elephant in the room, forgiveness, right? Stumbling block 
so often for our lives. Forgiveness. I think for forgiveness, we see, based on Scripture, that we both seek it and we extend it, right? We got to be willing to ask people to forgive us. And then we got to be willing to forgive others. So Matthew, going back to Matthew, you don't have to turn here, it'll be on the screen. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So he's telling them, listen, if you're coming to sacrifice to me, if you're coming to worship me, and I bring to mind that your brother has something against you, call a time out on worshiping me. The, the way you can worship me at that point is go, go ask for forgiveness. Go be reconciled to your brother. That's a message for the church. Guys, if we would take that and if we would act on that, we would see what it looks like to pursue peace and live at peace with others. Friday, which I blame this on Jimmy because I saw Jimmy Thursday night and he said, well, now since you're teaching on living at peace with others, you can probably expect to get in a fight with Mandy. He doesn't talk like that, but <laughs> um, it's not his fault. I have to take personal responsibility. I woke up Friday morning. I, had, I have, I'm fairly rigid in my, in my schedule. And so I woke up, I had the intention of getting out the door early, like probably before everybody got up because I wanted to go into the office and um, just spend some time with the Lord. And so I didn't get, that, that didn't happen. And I was doing stuff in the kitchen, making lunch or whatever. So combination of that, combination of me, just, um, I'm not a professional at this. So um, when I am gearing up to preach, it's kind of all encompassing and Mandy bears with me through it. And so thank you. I love you. Um, so combination of that. And then I had, you know, everybody that's in any type of worship. I had an annual review our regional manager was there Friday for like three or four hours in the morning. So I'm thinking, I didn't get out the door in time. I really want to spend some time with the Lord in quiet and peace. And my sales numbers aren't really where, where I want them to be as I'm getting ready to sit across the table with this regional guy. And, blah, blah. and so I was just negative Nancy. I was just, everybody got up. And I was just like, my default is just kind of like, you know, like, Normally, she can tell that I'm not at peace when I'm like, I kind of shut down. I'm just like, one word answers, short. And it was nothing they did. They didn't do it. They didn't deserve it. And so I get to the office and, you know, once again, I'm, I've got the peace of God in me. I didn't really foster that well. And then, so the Holy Spirit's just, you need to ask for forgiveness. I'm like, oh, man. Uh, okay. I mean, actually, I didn't wrestle with it too much, but I sent her a text basically saying, listen, that wasn't your fault. I was negative Nancy this morning. Here's all the, here's all the list of why, but those are really bad excuses. Please forgive me. And she responded, it's amazing. Now, I did hide behind the keyboard because we were both at work or behind the phone. She responded, you know what, please forgive me. I was, I was wrestling with some things too. I was struggling with blah, blah, blah. And so that combination on Friday morning, 
led us to where we had to pursue peace. I had to seek forgiveness from my wife two days ago. So not only do we seek it, but we extend it. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. And listen, this is a bigger topic. Forgiveness is a bigger topic, and I don't want to be... I don't want to overlook the fact that many of you have been wronged in ways that is not fair. And so I don't want to just put a nice bow on this and say forgive them because sometimes forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Sometimes, depending on the nature of the act, depending on the nature of the sin, forgiveness is not going to lead to relationship with that person, but what forgiveness does, forgiveness is not contingent on that person coming to you and asking for it. You have the opportunity as a follower of Jesus Christ, just as Jesus did for us, hanging on the cross. You have the opportunity as a follower of Jesus to extend forgiveness, release somebody from what they've done, and it will free your life. Harboring unforgiveness, this is a common quote, I think. Jimmy and some others have shared it, but harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You are poisoning yourself when we are hanging on to unforgiveness. And many times I think we're hanging on to it because we're waiting on somebody to act on their end. So if we want to pursue peace, we've got to be willing to deal with forgiveness. Seek it. And extend it. And I'll hit these last two quickly. We want to run from revenge. So what I say. Living at peace with others. Not a promise. But it's what? It's a pursuit. We're going to pursue peace. In pursuing peace. And running toward peace. And trying to grab a hold of peace. And living with others. We're also running from revenge. We can't run both, both ways. Verse 17 in Romans 12 says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we run from revenge, and when we deny ourselves that short-term good feeling of getting somebody back, we are playing into God's overarching plan. You realize, guys, God uses us to display himself to the world. One of the best gospel statements that we can do is is run from revenge. Avoid seeking 
revenge on somebody that's hurt us. That's part of his redemptive nature. Now, will that person grab a hold of it? Will that person see that, you know what? That, he didn't seek revenge. That reminds me a lot of Jesus. And I think I, we don't know that. But God is using us and wants to use us in the life of those people that are doing wrong and hurting us to display that it doesn't have to be like everybody else handles the situation. We're different. We have a living God living inside of us, extending grace and peace to people that don't deserve it. Does that sound a lot like Jesus? See, there's not a threshold, and I think a lot of people would like this. There's not a threshold in God's economy that qualifies us to retaliate, right? So there's not like, if somebody has done something this bad, then that would justify retaliation. That would justify revenge. But if they've only, you know, if, if, they've, if my spouse has committed adultery, well, that, that justifies revenge. If somebody's hurt my child, well, that justifies revenge. But, you know, if they've only gossiped about me, that's a, there's no economy like that in God's economy. That's not how he does it. That's what we want. He gives us a clear command. Don't seek revenge. Run from it. Because if that was the case, think about it. If that was the case, who would be able to claim that loophole? Jesus himself, right? If that was the case, and there was some, because nobody has suffered like Jesus. And he still said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we're going to pursue peace. We're going to run away from revenge. And then we're going to rest in the rest. And we're coming back to the first part of 18. If it is possible. This obviously does leave some open room for the fact that it may not be possible with some people in our lives to live at peace. But if it is possible... We want to do everything we can. We want to do our part. And what are we responsible for? We're responsible for how we obey the commands of Scripture and the leading of the Lord, right? We're responsible for what He tells us in His Word and living up to that and allowing God to work through us in that. We're not responsible for how somebody, excuse me, somebody else responds to us. So my question in that would be, have you pursued peace? If you've got a relational struggle, if you're not at peace with somebody, have you pursued it? Have you done your part? Have you run away from revenge against that person? And if you can answer yes to that, now I'll be honest with you, a lot of us haven't. We got a, we got a part to play in it. But if you can answer yes to that, we're going to leave the rest up to God. And we're going to trust that either God's going to bring that person to a place where they're going to understand and see that we forgave them and they didn't deserve it. Or if they don't, then God's going to deal with them with his own vengeance. Because God's a holy God and God's not going to be in the, he's not going to be in the same place 
as sin, right? And so they're either going to surrender their lives on earth or they're going to bow their knee and he's going to deal with what they've done. We can't live in the shadow and I feel like this happens a lot of times. We can't live in the shadow of a failed relationship or something that, that we've done everything we can do. We've pursued peace. We've, we've avoided revenge, but it's just not, it still doesn't feel like peaceful. I think that haunts a lot of people because we haven't just let it go. We haven't, we haven't given that to God and said, you know what, God, I am going to rest in the rest of the story. And that re- the rest of the story is up to you. And I can't play that out. I've done my part. I've been obedient to you. And so, Lord, it's yours. Let's end this way, guys. We're a little bit short on time. Surprise, surprise, Preston. Um, I'm going to call my wife up because I think this fits very well with, with what we're talking about today. And she's going to share, share just a couple minutes <clears throat> about... Um, seeking uh, peace in a, in a relationship we've had a couple years ago. Okay, so um, I want to kind of preface this before I start with just a little disclaimer that um, I'm going to share a, a story about my mom and, and our, our relationship, but I just want to let you all know that, that we're good. My mom and I are good. And we, I, we've forgiven, I've forgiven her, and we're living in, in relationship together. So I don't say this to bash her at all because... Um, so thankful for the restitution that God's done in our family. But um, I think it's important to uh, make the most of every, every opportunity and to, and to share um, what God has done. So, um, so about 12 years ago, um, my mom um, met another man while she was married to my dad. And I don't know all the details. I don't want to know all the details. But um, during that time, um, my mom left my dad and was in a relationship with another man. And eventually led to my parents getting divorced. They were married for 27 years. Um, They were um, leaders as my church growing up and, and grew up with like, we don't get divorced. You stay married and, and um, uh, shocked everyone, shocked my entire um, home church in Michigan, shocked me, shocked my brother, Um, devastating, completely devastating. Um, And, and through all of that, um, the man that she, she left my dad for, she married. Um, I didn't know she married him. She married him in secret and found out through a letter months later. And um, again, was hurt and angry. And, um, and I hated him. Hated him. I mean, through this, I've learned what true hatred looks like. And I hated him. Um, I, my mom obviously had a part, but I blamed him. Um, because I just thought, you know, he wasn't a Christian. He pursued my mom, and she was vulnerable. And, you know, I had all these excuses that I came up with for, you know, why she um, succumbed to that type of sin, um, but hated him. And, and so um, they lived in Michigan, so I didn't see them very often. I don't have to interact with them, like, on a daily basis. But when we would go up to visit family, we did see them some. And so, but when I was around him, I was just, like, going through the motions. I was just, like, walls up, cold, like, I could be really mean if I want to be. And it'll, by the grace of God, he's changing me. But that time in my life, this was 12 years ago, I was still very much a work in progress. And so, very angry. And, and um, uh, so, I just kind of skipped some of these parts for time's sake. But so, I was sharing this at small group 
plug for small group. I was sharing some of my hurts when we were in the Arwood small group. And, and Charlie Gibson said something to me one day, and I was sharing just all of this stuff I was going through. And he said, Mandy, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I hurt for you. I hurt with you. And he said, but you need to forgive your mom and this man. You have to forgive him. And I was just like, <laughs> whatever. I left mad. I told Preston, like, he said to forgive him. I cannot believe he told me to forgive him. I was just, bleh. I was so mad. So years, like two years later, two years later, I'm doing a Bethmore Bible study while my kids are napping. And, and I don't even know what it was about. But in a moment, Charlie's words came back to me. And whatever I was reading at that time, and I, and I just, God was saying, like, you need to forgive them. And I was just like, what? God, I hate them. I was like, God, give him a disease. God, make him sick. I mean, I was, I mean, I was, I really was praying like awful things. Like, God, just like burn them. Like, <laughs> like, God, let them see how wrong they are. And, and I mean, yeah, I really did pray that. Um, and so I'm like, but God was like, you have to forgive them. And I was just like, okay, God. So through tears, I just said, God, like, you see my hatred and you see the hurt. God, this is so wrong. This is like ruined my life. But I forgive them, God. And I just said, like, I knew I couldn't do it. I just said, God, I know only you can do this in me. I can't forgive them, but God, I know you can. So God, take away the anger. Take away the hatred. Take it away, God, please. And so I just left, like left it with God. And so, again, years passed, years passed. And um, my mom calls me one day. This is now about six years ago. So about six years have passed. And she says, um, We're think Rick and I are thinking of moving to Tennessee to live close to you guys. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't like, like a, you know, um, FaceTime. Yeah. Thanks, Terry. FaceTime. I was just like rolling my eyes like, again, whatever. And I said, whatever. You can live wherever you want to live was my answer to her. So yeah, real kind. Um, and I'm like, I'm not in your control of you. If you want to live in Tennessee, you can live in Tennessee. I don't really care where you live. And so they moved to Tennessee. They moved to Dandridge. I'm like, great. <laughs> now I have to see you, you know? And so, um, so they move here. We go over and help them move in one Sunday afternoon after church. And, um, and so I'm like, Lord, okay, you've moved them here. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And then um, a few weeks later, I'm getting up one morning, and God tells me very clearly to make them a chicken casserole and take them dinner. I'm like, I don't want to make them a chicken casserole. Like, I don't care if they eat. And, <laughs> and so... Um, but I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'll make them a chicken casserole. So I make a chicken casserole, mashed potatoes, and I, some other food, and we go over for dinner that night. I call my mom. I say, God, I feel like I need to bring you guys dinner. And she's like, okay, come on over. I'm like, so I go over, and we're sitting down at the kitchen table, and my mom is kind of doing some stuff in the kitchen to get things ready, and, and um, Rick's sitting at the edge of the, the table, and everything's ready to go. And we're just kind of waiting for her to come in so we can eat. And I, um, and I hear God tell me, make his plate. And I'm like, okay. And so I take his plate. And I say, Rick, can I make your plate? And he says, oh, sure. So I get his plate. And I scoop out the food. 
And as I'm scooping out the food, I can just feel God saying he is so pleased with me. And it was like when um, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Like, I feel like, I mean, in that moment, God was saying, like, right now, this is your act of washing his feet. Like, this is forgiveness, like, working itself out. And so, like, my hair was down. and I mean, I, like, couldn't look at him because my tears were just streaming down my face as I'm scooping this food. And I put it down. And I sit down. And, and we eat. And we don't, t- we don't even talk about anything. We just, we're just eating. And then the kids were little, and they finished, and they went to go play. And so then it's just the four of us adults at the table. And um, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, um, Rick just says, I just want to ask you to forgive me for my part in your parents' divorce. And I couldn't speak. I just, again, sat there, and tears just poured down my face. And Preston just spoke up and just said, thanks, Rick, but well, we've already forgiven you, and it's okay. And and, um, and the, the interesting part about all of this is he actually had dementia. Um, and we and he was so, like, he wasn't in good health when they moved here. And that's part of why my mom moved here. Um, but, but during that, like, so his mind was kind of in and out, but he snapped in in that moment and was able to say that to me. And and sometime during when he was married to my mom, my mom like shared Christ with him because he wasn't a believer when they got married. And some, somewhere he started to have faith. Um, and I don't know, you know, and all, how all of that worked out. But, but in that moment, like forgiveness became complete. And I'll just wrap up by saying um, a few years ago, Rick passed away from his dementia. And I was there the night that he died. And while he was like, you know, in those last hours, I was able to read his favorite passages over him and sing over him and even get to, got to share at his funeral and to tell his daughters, who I didn't really even know, but just to tell them, like, at the end, I was praying for a miracle for your dad, that he would live and that God would spare him. Um, but it was. God completely did it. Like, I did not do it. I just, like, step by step did what God told me to do when he told me to do it. And over course of six, seven, eight years, I got to see God work this amazing miracle of forgiveness. And I could say, it was not me. You guys heard some of the things I prayed. Like, it was not me. Like, it was God. And so, um, but my only part I will say is that I did, like Preston said, be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Like, when God calls you to act, you do still have to obey. And if I wouldn't have made that chicken casserole, I may have had a very different testimony right now. But, you know, when God told me to do something, um, I'm thankful that I wasn't stubborn and disobeyed, but that I did do it. And um, so now I can say, like, now I know that my God is able to forgive anything. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's close. We're, we're out, out of time.